0: Humans, this is Bob Ray, and welcome to another episode of Love Like a River, where we examine the statements and expressions of the God of the Old and New Testaments with the goal of discovering the practical applications of those words for our lives today. Our topic is prayer, and this episode is an introduction To a series on the subject of prayer. So today is an introduction starting a series on the subject of prayer. So I'd like to ask a question. Do you individually, personally, do you find it hard to pray? Many people say that they don't really know what to do when they pray. Others have talked about starting to pray and then getting lost with various things happening, such as distracting thoughts. Ever had that happen? (laughs) Doubts about if they're doing it right. Oh boy, if so-and-so could hear this, (laughs) I'd get a few demerits. Or maybe wondering if God is even listening to you at all. Well, if you've ever experienced any of those or been fearful that those things might happen to you, uh, we'll agree. Prayer can be a frustrating experience. Many think that it's uh, because of that, because it's potentially frustrating, that it's okay then to just leave it to the experts. They'll say things like, well, you know, let's just let the pastor pray. let those leaders over there pray. Or another one you'll hear is um, yeah, just go ask the prayer team, you know, the, those guys are the professional prayers. So let's just take it over there and we'll do a handoff here and You know, we dodge that bullet. They got the ball. They can carry it. Ask the prayer team. Uh, another one We'll just trust that our auntie, our favorite auntie has our back. Well, all three of those are leaving prayer to others and mentally excusing ourselves from the habit, the discipline, the process of prayer. But prayer was meant to be more than most of us currently know or experience. Prayer was meant to be something very, very practical. And in the scriptures, you'll find that prayer is a major component of biblical faith. The Bible records that from the earliest days of mankind, prayer has been a part of mankind's human experience. In this series on prayer, we're going to look at the words of Jesus Christ. We're going to see what Jesus said when asked by his followers to teach them how to pray. What did they tell him? What did he tell them to do? Do his instructions that he gave to them apply to us? And can we learn and benefit from his instructions on prayer? So we're going to specifically look at that incident, that scenario, that scene where Jesus was asked about prayer. We're going to see how he responds and then we're going to ask and examine if those things apply to us. So as an introduction here, um, our goal is to, with this first teaching and with the series, to give you a greater understanding and a greater ability in prayer. So not just facts, not just getting more knowledge on prayer. Our ultimate goal is for you to actually pray. You know, you can talk about fixing a flat tire or you can actually fix the flat tire. You can talk about eating a meal or you can eat the meal. This is not an exercise in just throwing knowledge at you. Our goal is a practical application. So we're going to seek both. We're going to seek understanding. We're going to seek application. So let's go directly to the two sections of Scripture where we find Jesus um, talking to his disciples about prayer. The first one is in the book of Matthew, and it's in chapter 6 verses 9 through 13. So I'm going to flip over there. We've got Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, where Jesus said this. He said, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So those were the the scriptures out of the the book of Mark, excuse me, Matthew. Now what we're going to do is we're going to flip over to the book of Luke. And Luke, you're going to find in chapter 11... Similar words, but I'm going to, we're going to pull the curtain back a little bit and look at the scene that was going on around these words. And they come right in the first few verses. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Listen to the word. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray temptation. So you'll notice right away that the words of the prayer are slightly different than the previous scripture, but what this section adds is the little prelude that tells us a few things. That number one, Jesus was praying. He actually was doing what we're talking about, and his disciples were observing that. His disciples were right there with him. It says that when he finished, they waited. They didn't interrupt him. They weren't one of those distractions that happen in prayer. They let him finish. And when he finished, they asked him about prayer. How do we do that? Show us, teach us. Why did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them? That's our first question. Why did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them? So part of the answer is, it, it's found right there in their question. They said, um, John the Baptist has taught his disciples and, you know, we'd like you to teach us just like he's taught them. Well, there's an assumption there that that because John taught his disciples that Jesus would teach his disciples. And that is an assumption. That's to, to assume that he was going to do that. Um And then we find out that, yes, he will teach them. So it was a good question. Uh, It was a good inquiry. And we'll see a little later that the disciples were sincere in wanting to learn. It wasn't some mechanical, external, check the box type of thing. They really wanted to understand prayer. And they saw Jesus doing it, and they themselves wanted to understand it, which is, kind of our objective here, learning about prayer. This series is about understanding prayer, but actually doing it. So uh, we're on the heels of the disciples when we have this question of what is prayer and how do you do it? So what made the disciples think that this practice was important to Jesus? So this is our second question. What aside from John the Baptist teaching his disciples, was there something else about Jesus that made the disciples think that this practice of prayer was important to Jesus? And it is my conviction that the scriptures illustrate that it was Jesus's example to the disciples that showed the importance of prayer. It was not just that he talked about it, it is that he did it and they saw how important prayer was to Jesus. So in addition to wanting the same thing that John the Baptist's disciples received, instruction on prayer, they had a living witness in front of them in the person of Jesus Christ, showing them how important prayer was. So what I want to do is go through a few verses that illustrate Jesus active in prayer and the disciples being in the close vicinity, the close proximity of that, and how he established a pattern. He practiced what he preached. When he spoke of prayer, he had demonstrated prayer. His disciples observed those habits. They observed those patterns. As I said, they were right there. So let's take a look at a few of these incidents where this occurred. The first one is in the book of Luke, gospel of Luke. And I'm going to read chapter five, verses 12 through 16. And we're going to see a pattern uh, emerge from these verses. We're going to see a pattern that Jesus established. And it will, in the end, we will see, this point will be proven that the disciples witnessed firsthand a pattern of the importance of prayer. So, chapter 5, 12 through 16. And it came about... That while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he ordered him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther and great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So I'm gonna stop right there. I said, we we're gonna to go to verse 16, but I wanna stop right there. and illustrate something. What we're seeing here is Jesus active and busy ministry. He's teaching the people. He's healing the people. It says when, he, when the multitudes brought the sick that he healed them all. Look at that in verse 15. It says, great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. He was active and busy in this ministry. Now, let's look at verse 16. But he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. All right, so you're, you're one of the disciples. You're with Jesus. You're listening to these words of life from this man, God-man. You're hearing the words. You're seeing these miraculous things done. You're you're seeing leprosy cured. You're seeing limbs restored. You're seeing dead raised to life. And yes, I believe all those things happened because the kingdom of God had come to earth and the scriptures, the eyewitnesses told us what he did. And so he's involved in the super busy ministry The disciples are right in the midst of that with them. But you're going to see in these next few verses, every time in the midst of that busyness, Jesus had a habit. Verse 16, but he himself would often, emphasis on the word often, slip away to the wilderness and pray. So if you're one of the 12 and you saw this ministry and you heard the words and you saw the healing and then all of a sudden, poof, he's gone. Do you think that would be like an unknown thing to you, what he was doing? Or do you think like it shows in some of the scriptures that they went out and searched for him and they found him. And when they found him, guess what? He was praying. Busy ministry preceded and followed by times of aloneness in prayer. He was setting and establishing a pattern for his disciples. Now let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 14 through 23. So chapter 14, starting at verse 14, and we're going to go all the way over to verse 23. At 14 it says, uh, when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. So do you see it again? Here's ministry, here's preaching, here's healing. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this place is desolate and the time is already past. So send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. Like basically thinking, what are you talking about? And he said, bring them here to me. Bring those loaves and those fish. Let me show you what I can do. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes and they all ate. And they were satisfied and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate, aside from women and children. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Stop right there. What's the scene? Busy ministry. The people are staying with him. The multitudes are surrounding him. They're out in a place where there's not a lot of food. The disciples get a little concerned about this, and they offer their advice. Hey, send these guys away. <laughs> Let them go get some food, because, man, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. What does Jesus do? He does a miracle. He says, you give it to them. Those disciples don't know how to do it, but they say, this is what we've got. Jesus takes what they've got and feeds multitude 5000 men if you just add one woman per man that's 10000 plus kids that's a lot of people okay cut it in half you know 7000 um the the the, the women and kids cut that part in half somewhere between you know 7 to 10 plus 1000 that's a huge miracle and then when it's all done, it says they were all satisfied. They picked up the scraps and he, then he sends the people away. It doesn't send them away hungry. He sends them away well fed and they disperse. And then it says in 22, he sent the disciples ahead of him by boat. So he sends the multitude away. He sends the disciples away. And then look at verse 23. And after he had sent the multitudes away, He went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So put yourself in the shoe of the disciples. You're there with him. You're in the midst of all this ministry. And you see these amazing things. You see 5,000 plus people fed. And then he sends them away. And are you thinking what's going to happen at this point? Or do you already know? that Jesus's habit is to then slip away privately to pray. How many times did they see this happen? Remember the first verse, it said often he would slip away. So there's a pattern that he had. Busy ministry, alone time to pray. Busy ministry, alone time to pray. Let's go over to the book of Mark chapter one and we'll look at verses 29 through 35. So chapter one, I'm going to read starting at 29 through to verse 35. 29. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, And the fever left her, and she waited on them. And when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Let's stop right there. You see the scene? It's intimate at first. One woman, his, the mother-in-law of Peter, is sick. Jesus is made aware of it. He heals her. Then when people hear that Jesus is in town, the multitudes start coming. And before the sun sets, Uh, they're gathering. After the sun sets, they actually come to the house and they brought all types of ill people with them. And guess who trailed along with the band, the group, the demon possessed. And you, you know, somebody out there, a critic might say, oh, there's no demon possessed people. Well, you know what? There's demon possessed people today and there were demon possessed people at that time. Yes, we believe in God. Yes, we believe in angels. Yes, we believe some of those angels fell away and are now called demons and yes the bible reveals that demons have the ability if a person yields to it and they have the ability to possess a person and there were possessed demon possessed people at that time in the crowd and jesus would cast those demons out of those individuals and it's very interesting here and in other places the demons knew who he was and they wanted to speak it they wanted to say it but he wouldn't let them He bound them and sent them away. It says they knew who he was. They knew he was God. They knew he was God's son on earth. Jesus was in absolute control. But do you see this picture of busy ministry, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, taking care of the individuals, their physical ills, their spiritual ills, casting out of demons? Now go to verse 35. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. You see the pattern? It was the day before. It was the evening before. There was ministry going on. And then when everyone left, when everyone went to bed, the very next thing Jesus does is gets up and goes to pray. Now, this is the section of scripture where you can find the disciples being aware of what Jesus was doing, because it says in verse 36, and Simon and his companions hunted for him. They knew he had left to go pray, and they found him, and they said to him, hey, everybody's looking for you. Everybody's looking for you. Come on back. Prayer time's over. But Jesus had this combination and this pattern. If he's going to minister to the people, he needs alone time to pray. All right one more example let's flip over to luke chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 6 through 11 6 through actually 6 through 12 but i'll read 6 through 11 first and it came about on another sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and he was teaching and there was a man there whose right hand was withered so he had a deformity he had a, a handicap And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely. Can you imagine this? Jesus is there to heal and to raise from the dead and to liberate and free. And these group of legal, fake leaders, pseudo leaders, hypocritical leaders, all they can do is try to trap him. They're not concerned that a son of Abraham is gonna be liberated from his, his illness. You see it time and time again through the scriptures, that it's the religious leaders of that day who were the strongest critics and most vile individuals around him. He, he's just about to do a miracle here and all they can think about is to, to have something, to find something that they can accuse him on. That's what verse seven says And the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. Oh, don't break the rules in order that they might find reason to accuse him their rules were more important than god's people but he knew what they were thinking and he said to the man with the withered hand rise and come forward come here and the man rose and came forward and then jesus said this to him i ask you is it lawful to on the Sabbath to do good. he's, He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the lawyers, the legal people there. He's putting them on the spot. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to destroy it? You're so caught up in your rules, you're missing what's happening here. I am about to heal this man, to save a life, What would this quality of this man's life be if he were healed and able to work and able to provide for his family and able able to do the things of that time period? A transformed life and their rule nitpicking. But he puts it on them. Should I destroy the life or save it? Should I do good or do harm? What's lawful? Since you're into all your laws and rules. And after looking around at all of them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored. You see how Jesus was not afraid of the religious leaders. He was there on a mission from his father. It wasn't about rule keeping, it was about life giving. Life giving. And look at the response of the leaders. They themselves were filled with rage and they discussed together what they might do to Jesus. He's giving life to people. He's healing. How can we take him out? That's evil. That's the evil of man without God. So Anyways, this whole scene is about ministry. In the face of evil leaders, in the face of needy people, a man with a withered hand, Jesus ministers. He's busy in his ministry. He's doing what he was called to do. Now look at verse 12. And it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. You see this right on the heels of healing this man right off on the heels of being confronted by these leaders and confronting them back right in the midst of this busyness in ministry. It says Jesus went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So again, I'm saying put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. And they've seen this miraculous thing. This man's hand has been restored and the people rejoice. The people knew the right way to respond. They, they praised God. They, they thanked God for what he was doing through Jesus. The religious leaders were the only people having a problem with this. And the disciples are taking all this in. They're seeing the religious leaders. They're seeing the people healed. They're seeing the response of the larger body of people. And then they see Jesus go away alone a solitary place to pray. And that is my point, that the disciples witnessed this pattern of ministry and alone time for prayer. They found Jesus praying. They saw Jesus praying. They knew that he would go off by himself to a quiet place. They saw that prayer was a vital part of Jesus's daily life and ministry. And I think this is what got into their mind. This was part of what was behind the question. They thought if he thinks this is so important, shouldn't we? If he does this, should, shouldn't we? If he, is powerful and and gifted and anointed as as he is, if he needs to then take time to go and pray, don't we need that? So I think his pattern was making the disciples wonder. And they saw the connection between prayer and ministry. Remember the time when he came down after the Mount of Transfiguration and it said that there was a man there with, with a um, son who was demon-possessed and the disciples had tried to cast the demon out and the, fa- the father told him that "says you know, your disciples tried, but they can't do it. And then Jesus did cast the demon out. Remember what the disciples said afterwards, they came up to Jesus and they said, oh, well, basically, why didn't it work for us? And Jesus says something very interesting. He said, this type only comes out through prayer. See, Jesus was a man of prayer. He had intimate communion with his father. He received power from on high. He was in the spirit. He was communicating with heaven about the mission on earth. And the disciples were just starting to put their toe in the water. So they came up against this guy, the father, and this son who was demon-possessed. And they didn't really know what to do. They tried. They gave it their best shot. You know, um, they, they didn't quite say hocus pocus, but, you know, they didn't have a lot in their toolbox. And when they couldn't do it, they looked to the one who could and did do it. And then they had follow-up questions. Why didn't that work for us? And Jesus's response, prayer is a necessary ingredient. So... Um, Back to our disciples. Back to them seeing this principle of ministry and prayer—prayer prayer connected to what they were doing. If they had those thoughts, what better way to get an answer than go directly to the source? And that's what we see here in the Gospel of Luke when they ask the question, "Lord, teach us to pray." They went right to the source. You know, they didn't—they didn't send a the telegram. They—they they didn't, um, you know, talk amongst themselves. They went right to the source. They went to Jesus and they said teach us to pray. The disciples had a real desire to learn how to pray. And that's what we need to have is a desire. And I believe most people have that desire. I believe that we get frustrated because the actual practice of prayer for most is this awkward thing. Uh, Am I doing it right? How's it going? Oh man, I'm going to fall asleep. I remember times getting up and going to prayer and actually falling asleep. So prayer can be this frustrating thing, but that shouldn't stop us from learning what prayer is and then actually praying and making it part of our life. They had a real desire to learn. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus did not leave them in ignorance. This was not a question that they asked him and then he ignored or scoffed at them and said, oh, no, boys, this is leave that to me. I'm the big boy here, and uh, I take care of the prayer, and you guys just go and uh, pass out the fish. No, he he made them know and understand that their request was a was a correct, vital request. Immediately when they asked, Lord, teach us how to pray, he gave them the Lord's prayer. He gave them the disciples' prayer. He gave them words, a prayer, a pattern. We're going to look in detail at those those prayers and those words, he gave them a practical answer to their practical question. It was a real question that got a real answer. And that's what we need to understand about prayer is that biblically speaking and in the life of Jesus, prayer was practical. And as followers of Jesus, we're told to imitate him. If Jesus was a praying man, what should we be? Male or female, we should be praying people. His disciples saw him pray, and via the scriptures, we see him pray. We should want to do the same. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should grow in our knowledge and ability to pray. So, for anyone out there who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, I challenge you to look at the life of this man. Read the Gospels. We've been looking at a number of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke all four gospels, read the gospels, look at this man. If you do, if you listen to his words and you do as he instructs, your life will be transformed. And that's a message to those who currently do not follow Jesus Christ. But now I wanna speak to those of you who do follow Jesus Christ. Don't just dip your toe in the water or your ankle. There's a great image in the book of Ezekiel about Ezekiel the prophet at the temple. And he has this vision of the the river of life that flows from the throne of God. And at first, the river is just a trickle. And this angel takes him a distance down the river. And as he steps in the river at that point, it's only up to his ankle. And then he goes farther and it goes up to his knee and he goes farther and it goes up to his waist. And then at a certain point, the water is so deep that, that he, he he can't stand, it's beyond him. He's overwhelmed with the, the size, uh, the depth, the width of this river. And that's what God's life is like. It starts with a trickle. But if we will continue, if we will press in as believers, God has more and more and more in store for us. And in this area of prayer, You may think you know everything, but this series, I want to shake you up a bit. I want to challenge you. I want to blow the dust off your prayer life. And I want this to become more of a vital, real, like, you know, I don't know if you guys like uh, whatever your best meal is. I like like ribs. I like a, a rack of baby back ribs. And when I have a rack of baby back ribs, I like to get all of it are get there now you might say I'm, I'm vegetarian well picture your best salad your greatest vegetarian meal and be, picture yourself in the middle of that meal just eating and it, enjoying it <sighs> would you be satisfied if you just had one little carrot versus that salad one carrot see some Christians settle for one carrot or or Instead of a whole rack of ribs, you're, you're satisfied with the scrap left over on the plate. I'm telling you, God has more for you in this area of prayer. And as we continue in this series, we're going to look at that more. We're going to take a closer look at the sections of scripture that we've already looked at and others. Take a closer look at the actual words of Jesus, listen to him. There's expanded teachings on prayer. He addresses this subject numerous places, in numerous ways, we're gonna to listen to his words. We're gonna scour both the Old and New Testaments to broaden our understanding of prayer. And we're gonna develop a practical plan, a practical plan to grow in our regular prayer habit. And you might say, Bob, I don't have a prayer habit. Well, that's the problem. We're gonna develop one and you say, I don't like the word discipline. Do you know what the word discipline means? The word discipline means to teach. And there's two sides of discipline. There's the side of discipline where verbally you speak words and someone learns. And then there's the other side of discipline where someone needs some chastisement and they're not cooperating. When you're non-cooperative, you get the other side of discipline. You understand that side of discipline? Most people understand that side of discipline, the whack on the ear, on the butt. I guess nowadays you can't do that, right? Well, discipline, read about it in Hebrews, that if you don't receive discipline in your life, you're not the child of any family. And God disciplines his children. And if you were in my household, my parents disciplined me. (laughs) Discipline's a good thing. Life will discipline you if you don't like discipline. If you think discipline is not a part of anything, keep that attitude and find out how life disciplines you. (laughs) Anyways, um, we are going to look at how to grow a healthy discipline, a healthy habit of prayer, a healthy, um, you know, regular, regular part of our routine. And then we're gonna actually pray together. At some some point, we're gonna have a time of prayer once we've learned these different truths. And most importantly, I want us to allow this time together to change us. See, that's what prayer does. And this is why the enemy wants to keep us from prayer because if you will engage in prayer, if you will take prayer seriously, if you will learn and grow in it, guess what? Prayer will change you. All right, well, that's it for today's show. Thank you for spending time with us. Join us next time. We're going to continue this series on prayer, and we'll be looking at what Jesus said are the external and internal conditions or requirements of prayer. What are the external and internal conditions or requirements of prayer? So this is your host, Bob Ray, wishing you the best of God's wisdom and the deeper discovery of his love for you. Have a great week.